in coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now... I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, Their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, And through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that I may come to you with the joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. You might may be seated. A couple of things that I just want to point out so that this passage makes more sense to us this morning is that when Paul starts this paragraph, he's sort of bringing together the whole purpose in writing this letter. He started out in chapter 1 saying that, that I've desired to come to Rome for many, many years. I've been hindered from coming. And he kind of concludes it the same way. I, I, I want to get there. But he, he says that he has been hindered much. But the reason he desires to get there, it's, it's personal and it's also ministerial. His personal reasons is he just wants to meet these believers. He wants to be refreshed by them. He wants to get to know them. He's, he's heard about their faith, we find in chapter 1. So there's a, a strong desire in his heart just to be around other Christians. He wants the fellowship. He wants the mutual encouragement. But there was other things that were a higher priority than just the fellowship with other believers. He wants to come and be helped. He wants them to participate in his ministry. Because Paul said earlier that he had fully preached the good news about Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, in that area of Palestine, in all of Asia Minor, and in the far extremities of the Greek a realm, Macedonia, Achaia, 
and, and further north in an area called Elicrium. And so he had saturated the eastern part of the Roman Empire. But his desire is to, to go on to Spain. And he wants that church to participate by sending him forward on his journey, by propelling him forward with the gospel. And then he tells them that a group of believers in the area of Achaia, which is Corinth and Athens, and another group of believers in an area called Macedonia. This is where the church at Philippi was located. This is in in Greece. And the church of Thessalonica and the Berean believers, they lived in that region. And they were also fellowshipping. They were participating with a church back in Jerusalem that was in dire need. And they were in dire need because there was severe persecution going on in Jerusalem. If you were a Christian in Jerusalem, you weren't popular. You were leaving Judaism, and you were following Jesus as the Messiah, and this Messiah had just been crucified. And to the Jew, that was a stumbling block. That was an offense. And so you were losing property, and a good chance that you were losing your job because you were standing up for Jesus. And so he encourages other Christians to participate, to share. So Paul says, I want you to participate in my ministry. I'm going on to Spain. I want you to send me forward. I, I'm, I'm in the privilege of participating with, with believers from all over the Greek world. And I'm taking an offering back to other believers. And then he lastly says, I want you to participate in what I'm doing through the power of prayer. I've got some prayer requests that I, I, I'm going back to Jerusalem. I'm going back to a hotbed. And he knew he would not be received well by the, those, the Jewish people. In fact, when he got back to Jerusalem with this offering, this gift, he's in the temple and they, they begin to beat him. And if the Roman guards hadn't have interrupted that beating, they would have killed the Apostle Paul right there. And so he's praying, asking, I, I want you, church, to participate in my ministry. And, and I want the, the Jews who are believers in Christ, I want them to accept this gift that Gentile people are sending them. Because in the early church, these two were like oil and water. And you read through a lot of Paul's letters, and you can see that Paul is encouraging Jews and Gentiles who both believe in Jesus that you're one body. God has torn down those middle walls, those separations that was contained in the the law and the commandments. And, And we see that in chapter 14 and 15 as well, that the diet, the days, none of those things matter. Those things are non-essential. Receive each other. And I want this gift that's coming from Gentiles to go back to the Jewish people to build this bond. And that's what happens when we mutually share with each other. There's an... ...parts together. 
And last night, it was a beautiful picture of what God can do with a church. Each life group had a part that they played in what what went on last night. Each group was assigned different things to bring, and we couldn't have pulled that off without a mutual participation. And you know what? We all share together in the joy of it. We all share together in the victory of it. We all share together in, in whatever ministry that was accomplished through it. And so participation is something that God really, really wants us to do as a church. You cannot be in the will of God. I, I'm kind of bold here with what, what I'm saying, and I believe this with all my heart, that you cannot be in the will of God without connecting in fellowship with other believers. God's plan isn't for anybody to be a lone ranger. God, when he saves us, he intends for us to be in community, in communion and in fellowship with one another. Every one of you has a spiritual gift that God has given you. But you don't have all the gifts. None of us do. And I need your gifts. We need each other's gifts. So you can't be in the will of God without being alongside of other believers. Christian, Christianity is a community effort. And I believe that we are only effective as to the degree that we are working alongside of one another. The Apostle Paul knew that. He knew that he could not get to Spain without the help of those believers. In 3 John, we have a passage that talks about these evangelists that were sort of itinerant preachers of the gospel. And John says, those strangers whom you should receive because they were planting new churches... And he says, when you receive them, I want you to do it in a godly sort. And I want you to bring them forward on their journey. The same Greek word that Paul uses here, pro, pempo. Pempo means to send. Pro means to go forward. He says, I want you to propel them forward. When these strangers, these ministering evangelists come to your church, John says. And then he tells us why. Because they are taking nothing from the Gentiles. These missionaries weren't taking up offerings from unbelievers. So whose responsibility was it to to send them forward? It was the Christian churches that they were visiting. And so he says, I want you to send them forward because they're taking nothing from the Gentiles. And then he says, therefore, we ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. When Paul received an offering from the Philippians, he said, this is fruit that abounds to your account. He said, I wasn't just looking for an offering, but I was looking for fellowship, koinonia, participation in what I am doing. And when Paul went and took the gospel, he said to the Philippians, because you sent an offering to me, this is fruit that will abound To your account. That's the beauty of participating jointly and mutually in ministry. That God puts it to our account when we work together. Some people plant, other people water, but God gives the increase. 
Now, the, the, the prayers that are at the end of this chapter that Paul asked for prayer, every one of those prayers was answered. I'm going to jump to the end, and I'm not going to cover it in great detail right now, but I just want to point out to you in, in 30 and 31 that he is begging for their prayers. He's pleading for their intercession because he knew what he was facing. One, the obstacles of unbelievers. Second, the Jewish people. And thirdly, he wants to get back to Rome. Not back to Rome because he's never been there. He wants to go to Rome. And all of those prayers were answered. Why? Because the church there at Rome was participating in Paul's ministry through the power of prayer. So first of all, participation in the gospel. 22 through 24. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. So what was the reason that Paul was hindered? It wasn't some satanic attack. It wasn't some sickness. It wasn't some divine providence of God that had hindered him. The word hindered is in the tense that it was just a continuous hindrance. So I want you to go over to chapter 1 and just see how this is all fitting together in this letter. In verse, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So this was a continuous prayer. And Paul says that I have been, been, been detained. Detained might be a better way of translating hindered, because it wasn't like a hindrance, but it was a, he was being detained in, this, in the imperfect, which means ongoing, this, this detaining of getting to Rome was ongoing, but he's been praying without ceasing for this group. And look at verse 11, or verse 10. Making requests, if by some means now at last I might find my way in the will of God to come to you. So Paul knew the will of God. And he knew the will of God was more important to do whatever he was doing that was detaining him than getting to Rome. And getting to Rome was partially just a, not a selfish desire, but, but one that would appeal to, to more uh, of his, his own social needs, okay? We all have those, and there's nothing wrong with those. But Paul knew that there was a priority higher than his social needs, Verse 11 in chapter 1 says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some, some, some spiritual gift so that we may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by our mutual faith. And Paul said there's, there's something more important. He says, For this reason I haven't been able to get there for this encouragement. And that reason was this, that he might fully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ where Christ had not been named. That was his priority. The gospel was his priority. And he says, because of this, I have been hindered. And he says, it's more important that I build this foundation where Christ has never been gone. For him who has not been announced, they shall see. And those that have heard, they shall understand. And it was, it was, So it was for the gospel. That's why he'd been hindered. He says, I am going to put off my personal interests because the interests of God's kingdom are more important. 
Sadly, in America, we do it just the opposite. We make sure that we get all of our interests taken care of, and if there's time left over for the things of God, he gets the scraps. That's, that, that's the church in America, unfortunately. And I think I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that in my day. That I take care of my interests. Oh, you know, I'm going to make sure that I get into the things that I want to do. But Paul says, I was detained because I was putting the gospel as thy number one priority. And so we can participate in the gospel by making it our priority. And it subordinates to our personal plans and our personal agendas. And so he solicitates their help. And why does he want their help? Look at verse 23. But now having no longer a place in these parts. Paul had saturated Every major city had received the gospel. And Paul made that his, his aim. And he says, I don't have any more opportunities in this area because I've, I've gone to every major city. And I have a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. Now, here's the main clause of this sentence. For I hope to see you on my journey. And the New King James says, and to be helped. That's the word pro pempo. I want to be sent thitherward. Old English. But we really get it in that translation, don't we? I want to be sent out. I want to move forward. And I want to come to you. And I want you to assist in this. I want you to help. I want you to have a part of my ministry in Spain. So this morning, we can participate in the ministry of the gospel by fellowshipping and working together. Paul earnestly seeks their company and fellowship, but he also wants their help in doing the, the evangelism of Spain. He says, I want to be somewhat filled with, with your companionship. So if we go down to verse um, 24 and we keep reading, it says, first, but at first I may enjoy your company. The word to enjoy literally means to be satiated, to be filled up. It's like a, it's, it's a word for gluttony in some, some uh, other contexts. He says, I want to just get filled with this fellowship with you guys. And then I want you to send me forward on my journey. The help that he seeks is not self-centered. He wants to be sent forward. Paul is seeking assistance in the progress of the gospel. And so when we make the gospel our priority, we can share together in that kind of ministry. The next thing that Paul wants us to be aware of that we can participate in, and that is for caring with each, caring for one another. Verses 25 through 27. So let's read those together. Verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem. So even though he says, I've got this on my agenda, I want to see you, Paul says, again, there's something that's, that I've got to do right now. 
So Paul was always putting other people first. And that's key to participating in, in fellowship, isn't it? Putting other people first. And so he starts out by saying in this new, new line of thought, but now, even though I really want to just be filled up with fellowship with you guys, even though I, I need to get to Spain, right now there's something else that's just really, really burning. And, and as Christians, we need to learn this in the will of God. You never stop doing a ministry right now that hasn't been complete to go and jump and do something else. We need to learn that as Christians. Somebody I was talking to yesterday at the picnic, and I was telling them all the different places that I lived, and they said, it sounds like you got itchy feet. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, sometimes I do. Sometimes I, I get in the middle of something, and then my eyes start looking at something else that looks like a little bit more fun or a little bit more exciting, or a lot, not as challenging as where I'm at right now. I said, man, if I could just be in that ministry. And I have to catch myself. I was out with a, a, a missionary this Monday for, for lunch, and he started speaking about Indonesia and the need for translators there. And my wheel starts spinning. Wow, you know, I, I've been studying the original languages for 35 years, and I, man, Tracy, maybe we ought to just make plans and just head off. But that's not God's will for me. This is where God has got me. This is where God has called me. And I need to just focus right now on the priority of, of seeing this church grow and be established and strong. And, and Paul says, I've got a priority right now. And that's taking this gift back to Jerusalem. And that's what I need to do. And, and, he, and he's, he's going to use Achaia and Macedonia as an example. So let's read it together. He says, but, but right now, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to take this ministry to the saints. And we read the words, it pleased, for it pleased those of Macedonia. We read it twice. We read it in the first part of verse 26. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to do what? To make up a certain contribution. That, again, is the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship. It means participation. It means to distribute something. It means to share. And it's used twice, and so is the word. They were well pleased. So Paul is emphasizing that they had a great desire to share and to participate in caring for one another's needs. They were in corroboration with each other. They were working together. The example of generosity. First of all, we see it in the Apostle Paul, don't we? We see the example that he left. That Paul says, right now, I am going to Jerusalem. There are people that are desperately in need in Jerusalem. And so even I, as much as Paul wanted to get to Rome, he says, there is a higher calling right now, and there are people in dire straits. And that's where I am needed the most. 
Tracy and I, and I, sorry for, again for using ourselves as personal examples. I, I shouldn't do that, but I'm not, I'm not really good on illustrations. But never mind. I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> Tracy said, thank you. <laughs> so let's, let's just go on. It, it pleased those in Macedonia to make up a certain koinonia, a distribution for the poor among the saints. For it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors, for the Gentiles have been partakers. That's the exact same verb, partakers. If they've been shared, they've been partners in this, they, they need to be sharing in the, the duty of giving people the finances to live on if they benefited spiritually. So there's a, there's a lot in this little, little section. So I want us just to look at the churches of Macedonia and the churches of Achaia because they are an example of partnership. So we're going to take a little break from Romans right now, and we're going to jump over to the letter to the Corinthians. So hold your place. We don't have to go too far because 1 Corinthians is the very next book. But we're going to go to the last chapter, chapter 16. And, and I want you just to see how the Bible is a historically accurate book, that this is not some kind of man-made, contrived book, but, but you know, if this was made up, there would be so many contradictions in it. And yet, Paul is writing different letters at different times, and they're all corroborating the same story. And so in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, he's talking about the same collection, the same participation that he was talking about in Romans chapter 15, the verses that we just read. Now concerning the collection for the saints. This is talking about the church in Jerusalem, the collection, Achaia and Macedonia. Because this is the church of Achaia. Corinth is that church. He says, I have given orders to the churches of Galatia. So the churches of Galatia, they were to participate in this as well. But notice he says, I've given them orders. So giving in the Christian life, it's assumed that this is what we are to do as believers. As believers, we are to be giving people. Jesus said it. Blessed are those who give. More blessed to give than, 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 than anything else. Those who serve are the greatest in the kingdom. So it's assumed that this is something they're supposed to do. So you must do also. And then he tells how this giving is to be done. It's to be um, organized. It's to be done regularly. It's to be done with planning. And it's not based on feelings. We don't give just because we feel good. We give because we plan to give, and we've had a process by which we've been taught how to give. So he says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there's no collection when I come. And when I come to you, whomever you approve by the letters, I will send and bear your gift to Jerusalem. So we know it's that same offering. Now let's jump over to 
the second letter of the Corinthians to chapter 8. And we have Paul using the Macedonians as an example to spur the Corinthians on to actually follow through with their pledge to help. So in chapter 8, it says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Look at this. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in their riches of their liberality. So if we're going to be liberal at North Valley Bible Church, let's be liberal in our giving. But they were liberal in their giving even when it hurt. It wasn't because they had an excess. It wasn't because they had an abundance. It abounded out of their poverty. And we'll, we'll, we'll see why. For I bear witness according to their ability. Yes, and even beyond their ability, they were freely willing. So giving is to be sacrificial. Giving is done freely. When you participate and you share, it is something we do freely because God loves a cheerful giver. Giving allows us to participate and fellowship in ministry. Let's keep reading. So they implored us with urgency that they might receive the gift, and here it is again, and the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. That Greek word is again koinonia, sharing, contributing, fellowshipping. It's in all of these passages. So they were becoming what? They were becoming partners of the ministry to the saints. So we can be partners in the gospel, and we can be partners in meeting people's needs. I sent out a text the other day about a lady who's homebound. And before an hour went by, I had a phone call from somebody else in the church saying, where's her address? I'm going to go by and I'm going to visit that lady. And so by making it known, now our church together is participating in ministry, fellowshipping. And not only as we had hoped, this is so key, how does real giving, how does real participation start? This is how it starts. They gave them first themselves to the Lord. When you give yourself to the Lord, He's got all of your resources that come with it. You don't see it as your own. You see it as a part of the body of Christ. And if there's a need, and you have given yourself to the Lord, you want to get plugged in right there and meet that need. Now let's go over to chapter 9 of the same book. And we're just going to read a couple of verses here out of this section. So verse 2, and I don't have time to read all of it. You can do it on your, this afternoon if you'd like to. But again, he's, he's concerning the ministry of the saints. He says, it's superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about what I boast to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready 
a year ago. That's the area that he's writing to. And your zeal has stirred up the majority. When you participate and when you give, it has an effect on the people around you, doesn't it? When I watch people who are generous and I hear about them participating, it stirs us up to be also involved in that. Now let's go drop down to verse 5. Verse 5, the same, same paragraph, or same, same passage in chapter 9. And I'm only just picking out a couple of verses. We don't, just don't have time. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you have previously promised, that it may be as a matter of generosity and not a grudging obligation. So giving is not an obligation, isn't it? It's nothing that we do grudgingly. And Paul says, I just, I, I want you to be prepared in advance. So when you get there, you don't turn around and say, where's our offering? I want it to be something that you feel that you want to do just willingly. And there's also a proportion in our giving. And we see that in verses 6 and 7. But I say to this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one of you, as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you know what? God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you'll have all sufficiency in everything. Now, this is not prosperity gospel. But I can stand on the authority of God's word that God does bless when you give. Now, that's never a motive, and that's not our end goal, is it, in giving. But God will always meet your need if you have got a generous spirit and a generous heart. Jesus said this, give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. Now, that's quite a promise, isn't it? And you only experience that by participating in sharing through giving. So there's a biblical responsibility in giving. And Paul puts this on every believer. Every Christian has this responsibility to give. And it's based on this principle from the Old Testament. The Levites had no inheritance. They had no land given to the Levites. They lived in the cities and the suburbs outside of the cities, but that's all they, they didn't farm. They had no jobs other than the ministry of the temple. And the religious, spiritual worship and the teaching of the law to the nation of Israel. So how were these Levites going to make a living? The tithe. And Paul picks that up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and he applies it to the Christian church. And he says, if I have sown to you spiritual things, it is your responsibility and your obligation to provide the material things. Now Paul was defending his apostleship. And Paul said, I will never use any of that for my own resources. In fact, he says, he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. 
But he says, I, I just want you to know that I am an apostle, and if I've offended you by not taking an offering from you, forgive me. He's being sarcastic. He says, other people are doing it all the time. But I'm the one who started the church there. I am your spiritual father. If anybody you should be paying an offering to, it should be me. But Paul says, I'm, I'm not wanting that. But he uses this principle again in 1 Corinthians 9, and he uses it in Romans chapter 15. He says here in verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 27, it pleased them indeed. So we see the reasons why it pleased them. It pleased them because they got to participate they got to fellowship in this ministry to the saints. So when that offering left Achaia, and when that offering left Macedonia, and it got to Jerusalem, and those Jerusalem Christians were rejoicing, and they were abounding in their thanksgiving, the churches of Macedonia and Achaia, they were there vicariously sharing in that joy, sharing in that rejoicing. But that's not just the only reason why Paul wants us to give and share. The other biblical reason is, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, it is their duty also to minister to them in material things. Now look at verse 28. Therefore, when I have performed this, he says, this has got to come first. When I have completed this, it's, a, it's an adverbial of time phrase, when, when, and another adverbial time phrase, when I have sealed to them this fruit. That's an important phrase. We don't really get it in the English-speaking world to seal fruit. But in the ancient world, when a document was the, sealed... It showed that that document was authentic and that it was genuine. It also sent a message that no one could tamper with it. And so Paul is saying, I am taking this gift and it is authenticating that the people who are Gentiles... They have a genuine and authentic and real love for Jewish Christians. That's what you send people when you participate in their lives. You are sending them a message. You are authenticating them to you. That that person is, is just as important, in fact, more important than you. That, that you see them as your brother in Christ. And that you may have had some division before. But when you share and when you give, you know, you end up all arguments. And I'll use my mother-in-law now for an example, as an illustration. She prayed and prayed for her next-door neighbor. And her next-door neighbor was not a nice lady. But she wanted to authenticate how much she loved her. And so she did something. The neighbor did something to her. And, and Tracy, I remember she came home and told the story and told her mom what happened. You know what her mom says? And my wife used to make our boys do this. Oh, they hated it. <laughs> she baked a cake and had Tracy take it to the neighbor. And my, my wife used to do this in Ireland. My, I got five boys, and they are they're typical boys. And 
we were, we were playing a game out in the front yard. I got Kelly here today. And uh, he's, the, he's the one who had to bake the cookies, I think. <laughs> but uh, you, you might think this is really silly. But we were playing out in the front yard, and, and we had, to, had these bins that we have here in, in, in America, too. But they, they were, I mean, chest high. And we were, playing, we were playing with guns, you know, and nobody in Ireland does that, by the way. They thought the Cross family were lunatics. We put on camo. We put face paint on. Tracy brought home paintballs one time, and you couldn't get guns in iron, so she bought a bunch of slingshots, and we were firing slingshots at each other. And So anyway, it's dark, it's at night, it's cold, it's raining, typical Irish night, and Kelly's hiding in the garbage can, and he hears this bike coming down the sidewalk, <laughs> and it's getting closer, getting closer, and so right when that poor guy is there, Kelly comes jumping out like a jack-in-the-box out of the go- and I mean he about gave this guy a heart attack it was pretty funny I'm glad Ron he's got boys so so what did Tracy do the next day she says Kelly you're baking cookies and you're taking it down to that guy I don't know if the cookies ever made it I'm sure they did Kelly's well, half of them did okay but what it did to that man it sealed that friendship. And I know that was a really bad illustration. <laughs> Sorry for that. But my point is, Paul said, when I finish this, when I complete it, when I've sealed to them, I've authenticated that there is no schism between us, then what's he going to do? Then I will go by my way to you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, listen to this verse. I know that when I come to you, I shall come to you in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. When I studied that this week, I meditated. What is he talking about? And I could be wrong, but this is what I think Paul is saying. He says, I am so confident. I want to get to to Rome. I desperately want to get there. I want, a, I want a fellowship with you guys. I want to be satiated with your company. I want to enjoy the fellowship. He says, but I am not going to take any shortcuts. I'm going to do everything that God has asked me to do. And when I do that, I know that God is going to smile on that. And God, I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessings of God. And this is what I want to share with our church today. That when you put your name on the line, and you make a commitment, and you violate that, you're not in the blessings of God. No matter, it may be a good thing that you want to do, but you have said that you're going to do X, Y, or Z. You do that first, and then you make sure that you've done it right, and you complete it. And then you do the things that you want to do after that. Don't get the order the other way around. And Paul says, if I complete this task, and if I seal this friendship between you, then I know that I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. So confidence in blessings is through making someone else's needs your responsibility to meet. Now, the last part is partnership in prayer. And I know I've been going a long time. I, I, I can get very windy, and I apologize for that. So let's just quickly go through this, and I'll try to stick to the, my main points here. Partnership in prayer, 30 and 32. Now, I beg you, 
So why was Paul pleading for prayer? He's pleading for prayer. Let's see the means by which he pleads. It's not selfish. How did he plead for prayer? So let's look at the text. It'll give us that answer. How did he plead? I plead with you, O brethren. He does it through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he does it through the love of the Spirit. That's the means that he pleads for this prayer. Love of the Spirit is, an, is, the, is the object of their love. It's because you and I love our Lord Jesus Christ, and because we love the love, he's the object of their love. And so that is a reason to pray, isn't it? It's because of Christ and because of our love for the Spirit. So that's the, the, how, the, the means by which he asked for the plea. Now, what is the request? Let's look at the request. That you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. So the request is that they strive together. Compound word. Soon agonizomai. We know the word agonize, don't we? That's what it means to pray with people. You join in the fight. You join in the struggle. And so we can participate through the gospel. We can participate by caring for one another's needs. And we can participate with each other by asking for prayer requests. And we get in there and we get on our knees and we bring our petitions before the Lord and we pray in an agonizing way. He says, I want you to strive together to get in the, the conflict, to get into the fight. It's a word for two men in a wrestling match. And he says, sometimes we just need to wrestle with God in prayer. And Paul knew why he needed the prayers. And let's look at why he needed the prayers. The first one, he wanted to be delivered from those who willfully rejected truth. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Did God answer that prayer? Boy, he sure did. Paul knew every city that he went to. He would, he would go into the church service, and somebody who had the gift of prophecy would come up and say, you know what's waiting for you when you get to Jerusalem? You're going to get arrested. In fact, one place they pleaded with Paul, don't go back there. And he says, why do you break my heart? I'm willing not only to go back to Jerusalem and suffer, I'm willing and I'm ready to die for Christ. And they just cease saying, and say, okay, the will of God be done. You go ahead, Paul. We told you ahead of time. Another prophet came in and grabbed his, his belt and took it off and he wrapped it around his hands. And he says, this is what's going to happen to you when you go back to Jerusalem. And so Paul says, I'm asking you, I want you to agonize with me. I need your prayers. I'm going back to a hotbed that hates me. I used to be a Pharisee. I used to be on their side. I used to take letters to the city of Damascus. I used to arrest Christians. I used to put Christians to death. And now they despise me. They want to kill me. So what, did, what happened when he got there? There was a conspiracy theory. Now, it wasn't a theory. It was a real conspiracy. When you hear a conspiracy theory, it probably is a conspiracy, by the way. So anyway, the conspiracy was over 40 guys got together and said, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill the Apostle Paul. And you know what God did by his divine providence? His nephew happened to be eavesdropping on that conspiracy. And he says, go tell the centurion what you've heard. 
And you know what God did for the Apostle Paul because of the answers to prayer here? God gave Paul a 470-man escort to the capital of Caesarea to have his trial there. God heard the prayer and God answered the prayer. The next prayer, that my offering will be acceptable to the brethren. If you go over to the book of Acts, it says this in Acts chapter 21, verse 17. Now when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. They welcomed Paul. They welcomed this gift. The last part, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and be refreshed together with you. Did Paul's prayer get answered? It sure did. When Paul got to Rome, he stayed for two years in his own house, and they received him, everyone who came to him, and he was preaching the kingdom of God, and he was teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, and no one was prohibiting him. Every one of those prayers was answered. So Christianity, the essence of New Testament biblical Christianity, is participation with each other because we all participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And when we do that, we are put into the body of Christ. And the most important thing that we can do together as a church is to participate together in the spreading of the gospel of Christ. And we can send it forward by sharing with one another the gospel. The second thing we can do, we can participate in caring for each other's needs. And we can show the authentic, genuineness of our Christian love by getting involved in other people's lives when they need us. And we view their needs as our own. And we also can participate as believers in the prayers that other people have. And so what a, a wonderful way of Paul concluding this, this, this beautiful letter. The chapter 16, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it next week, but we just about finished it. And this really is the end of the body of the letter, and that's why he ends it with this benediction. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's close there.